Tuesday, February 27, 2019. This is Born to Battle, brought to you by the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am your host, Marine Corps veteran Timothy Lawson. It's a humble day for me. This will be my final episode of Born to Battle. Not the final episode of the podcast, but the final episode that I lead you as your host. I have accepted a position outside of VA and will be uh, departing later this week. I'm going on to to amazing things and I am leaving the podcast in good hands. In fact, that is today's guest, Tanner Iskra, Marine Corps veteran. He's been with us on the digital media engagement team for about four months. He is a video producer and was selected to take over the podcast after my departure. Tanner has all the intangibles that a a, a creative and podcaster needs. I am confident in his ability to take this podcast to the next level and deliver amazing content. But before I just hand over the reins, let's get to know this Marine. Let's get to know the next host of Born the Battle, Tanner Iskra. I served in Vietnam. I served in World War II. I served in Afghanistan. And VA serves us all. No matter when you served. No matter if you saw combat or not. There are benefits for veterans of every generation. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. How do you, is it Iskra? It is Iskra. Okay. It is Slavic for spark. Is that right? Yes. Oh, that's a fun <laughs> little tidbit. At what age did you learn that? Uh, my wife told me. <laughs> my wife told me. So That's great. It had to be. Is she Slavic? No, she's, oh, okay. she's Moroccan. She's half Moroccan, half Irish. Well, Tanner Iskra, uh, what's, I don't know. I mean, you work uh, about 20 feet away from me. I don't know your actual title. What's what's your title here at uh, VA? So the, uh, the government title is audiovisual production specialist. Mm. Um, it's a mouthful. It I is. just say producer. Okay. Very well. Uh, you've been on the team here, digital media engagement team for four months now, three months? October. So that would be November, December, January, February. Four months. Yeah, four months. Okay. Four months. Uh, Tanner Iskra, you are a Marine Corps veteran. I am. Semper Fi. Raw. Raw. Uh, 11 and a half years. I always got, you always got to add that half a year. People think, oh, at 12 years, what happened? You didn't get promoted sergeant, got kicked out. No, it was a choice. Right. I left. Right. I, uh, it's funny you say, because my, my time in was five and a half years. Mm-hmm. But, so I, I got, I found myself saying just over five years instead of five and a half. Cause I was smart. I felt like a kid who was like waiting for his sixth birthday. When I say I was in for five and a half years, like this many, I don't know. There was, there was something about including the half that made me feel that There's way. always that pause, like how you want to include something. Cause it wasn't just that amount of years. There was a little, yeah, I, I like that. I yeah. think I'll start using that. Yeah. So I say just over five years to so let so. people know. It, I passed. I did get past the five-year mark, and I want that credit, but I don't want to make it seem like, you know, how long are they? Five years, seven months, 26 days to the hour. <laughs> uh-huh. Very like well. You are going to go through an interview like any other uh, guest here would before I officially hand over the reins of the Born the Battle podcast. So before we talk about uh, that aspect of... We're sad to see you go, by the way. Oh, we really are. Well, I think I appreciate I, that. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's um wasn't an easy decision, but I think it's uh, I think it's the right one. And thank you for allowing me to um to take the pod take over the podcast and and make sure it still has life after you leave. Of uh, course. Well, don't don't get ahead of yourself. This is your audition. Don't get too too ahead of yourself here. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Look, if this sucks, I'm telling I'm telling our boss right away. If this sucks, and this will never see the light of day. Never. Yeah. yeah. Oh well. Um. All right, Tanner, you're gonna answer the the same question that I've had. Uh, just over a hundred other veterans answer here on the show. Uh, one thing that all of us veterans have in common is just the decision to join or the, the, the moment when we learned, I guess not everybody would decided, right? Some, some people were, were drafted, but there's a moment when you realize the military is next. Uh, when was that for you? So for me was when I, as a freshman or a sophomore, I looked at my grades and I go, well, obviously college is not in my my in my future uh in my immediate future this is high school this is high school yeah yeah and uh you know i I, high school so my uh my brother who's nine years older than me joined the army and i saw him actually get out of the hometown in doing that and i said and when i was 17 he took me he at that point he had transitioned out of the army and uh transitioned into the air force so he got out as an army grunt and he joined the Air Force as a, as a machinist, as a welder. So he took me to Travis Air Force Base. And uh, mind you, uh, it's, it's the Air Force. So I'm looking around I'm like, wow, this, is, this isn't a bad life. This is really not a bad life. So what did I do? I turned around and joined the Marine Corps. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> and I was trying to sell it to my brother when he told me I was an idiot. And I said, no, really? They tell me Camp Lejeune is like a college dorm room. It's going to be really great. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I still tell him that he still laughs at me, but, um, so you, you saw the, the comfortable lifestyle of the air force and that somehow motivated you to decide to join the United States Marine Corps. So I was going it's motivating. to, yes. Yeah. So I was going to join the air force, right? Cause that's, you, you see it monkey see monkey do. Yeah. And I walk into the air force recruiter in my senior year in 2003 and he goes, you have a no insurance ticket. Uh, it's $600. I'm not even going to spend the time with you. I'm not even going to take you to MEBS. Let me know when that's paid off when we can talk. Is that right? That is. Okay. So I kind of walked out with my head, you know, hung and, you know, what, how am I going to be able to get out of this hometown? Um, the Marine Corps came to the rescue. <clears throat> so <laughs> I was either thinking Army or Air Force, and I was always talking to Army, but the Mar- I was like, no way am I ever going to join the Marine Corps. Like, those guys are just crazy, hard, uh, I don't want to be, you know, you hear all the bad stories and you watch a pull metal jacket and you're like, no way, no yeah. way. So he's sitting there. He's, I mean, in the mall, they're right next to each other. And he goes, hey, come here. And it's Sergeant Bell. And we started talking about Pulp Fiction. Nice. And it was, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite effing movie? And every other word out of his mouth was effing this, effing that. And I was right. like, this is an interesting guy. <laughs> I'm going to just talk to him just for the lols. Yeah. Right. I'm just going to talk to him just for the, so we, I was like, yeah, she's like, how about you come by tomorrow? I was like, sure. I'll come by tomorrow. And, uh, he, we go in there and he sells me on the Marine Corps brotherhood and the, the, the tags that you see and you know, what, what do you want out of, out of, out of your, your life? And I tell him about this, no insurance ticket. I say, Hey, uh, about the no insurance ticket. I, I don't even know if I can go to MEPS yet. And he goes, I'll pay that. He goes, that's, he sold, he sold it like, that's the brotherhood of the Marine Corps. We can take care of our own. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is this is also also how the mob got people to be loyal to them was they paid off debts. <laughs> 
So I was like, oh, man. so I was like, yeah, that's my brother. So um, I paid him back after boot camp, but uh, I still talk to him this day. Do you really? I do. Sergeant James Bell, my recruiter. I had a recruiter who um, he was fine. He, he he helped me. He helped me. You know, he was nice the whole way and getting me set up and everything. But one of those recruited like had no interest in me once I had taken off. Really? Yeah. I think I sh- I think I, huh. po- I I dropped by and by no no interest in me. Like I dropped by and I was like, you know, what's going on, staff sergeant? Like you know, I'm like, when I when I was done, right? Yeah. Like, absolutely. You, you, you want to show up and be like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. Look, I did it. You know. <laughs> and he was like, good, good for you. And then was like, okay, that was it. And that was like really the last I'd ever heard from him. Wow. I got the uh, I got the boot leave but on the boot leave i got the recruiter's uh the, assistance. The recruiter's assistance he wasn't there for that at that point i was his last recruit before he himself transitioned out of the marine corps oh interesting so they sent me from olympia washington all the way to aberdeen my hometown which had no recruiter and they just let me chill out in the mall for like a week you're from aberdeen i am did i know that before mm, we might have talked about it Can I t- so so uh i'm gonna digress real quickly i have one memory from aberdeen uh, Washington. I was riding my motorcycle just after I exited the Marine Corps, right? So I, I finished in the Marine Corps. I went home. Uh, I spent some time at home, and then I was going to go join my at time girl. The girl I was dating at the time was was living in North uh, uh, North California. Gotcha. And so uh, Sacramento. And so I was like, you know, I'm going to ride my motorcycle from from Woodbound, Washington, all the way down to Sacramento. Ooh. And I passed through Aberdeen. And. Uh-huh. And I stayed the night there, and early in the morning, I get up, whatever. I I think I went to like put some some gas in the motorcycle, and I come pulling out of this. Uh, I come pulling out of a, a parking lot, and there's two stoplights really close to each other, and I I only recognized am I the further one, and so as I'm hitting the throttle, I look up and realize there's a stoplight right there. Oh wow! And my knee jerk reaction was oh snap and i hit the brakes and i put my motorcycle down and went sliding into the intersection and no one stopped to see if i was okay <laughs> people just like were like staring as they were going by it's probably because i popped up pretty quickly they were right? probably like a, just like foreigner right well and yeah. and like i didn't i wasn't laying on the ground in pain like i quickly hopped up and ran over to my motorcycle gotcha. but people were just staring as they were riding by no one like rolled their window down to ask if i was okay and i was like all right aberdeen i, I see you yeah, yeah. uh <laughs> Aberdeen's, I mean, it's it's a it's a decent place to grow up in when I was growing up there. Yeah. Uh, it's a very small town. It's a very uh, um, close-knit community. So, um, But there's two people that are famous out of Aberdeen. I don't know if you know. I don't. Kurt Cobain. Oh, okay. He wrote The Muddy Banks of the Wishcaw underneath the bridge in Aberdeen. Okay, I've and heard of him. You can still visit there. And WWE champion Daniel Bryan. Okay. He's from Aberdeen. So. Very well. Um, I say I'm from Aberdeen because nobody really knows my exact hometown, which is Hump Tulips, Washington. That is an actual place. Okay. And I went to Holcomb High School in Aberdeen. But, uh, okay. So I claim Grace Harbor as my home. Sure. But um, Only one person of note really came from my hometown, uh, Marty Malloy, who is a U.S. team judo champion. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And she was on US USA team. And I think she got it silver if not a gold at uh, one of the olympics recently anyways um what uh tell me about a close friend or a great leader you had while you were in the military so uh can i give you three and then you could choose yeah. which one you want to edit out wow, I'll uh, just tell us about them all so my first enlistment the guy i pal around with a lot was michael murphy murphy and i we 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 skated through we made sure we kept we kept each other we watched each other's back made sure we weren't at, you know in a lot of trouble yeah um, and I still talk to him this day. He's a good dude. Um, second person is Gunner Sergeant Richmond when I was a corporal. And I'll tell you one story about Gunny Richmond. 
uh, he was my, uh, at that time I was, my first four years I was an admin. I was an admin Marine and he was my admin chief. Something happened at that point. I was, you know, admin Marines, you make sure people get promoted, make sure people get paid, make sure people get awards. Word. And uh, something at the IPAC didn't happen for one of the Marines in my unit. And I was a corporal at the time. And you know, that first four years, you're a young corporal, you're full of hot air, and you just want to like make sure that the problem is taken care of and you want to make sure that people never make that mistake again. Yeah. So I'm going in the IPAC and I'm ready. I'm ready for war. You know, I'm ready to like get this handled. And Gunny's with me. Yeah. And I thought, oh, God, I'm going to show Gunny I could take care of stuff. And, and, uh, Gunny Richmond's very, uh, very sweet. Or not sweet. In reality, he's not very sweet. Let me take that back. He's, he can be very hard. But at that point, I saw a change in him where he was actually, hey, Corporal, you know, so and so, do you mind if, and this is how he approached the problem. And the the Marine, you know, hey, I'm sorry, Gunny, we'll get that taken care of. And I was like, well, this, that's because it's your fault. And I wanted to make sure that I wanted to let her know that I knew I, I was watching her. Bad, big mistake, of course, right? Right. Didn't know at the time, young Corporal. Gunny, like I said, he's still hard. Takes me, he takes me, he's like, he snapped. He's like, what are you doing? He goes, you get a lot th- more things done in a more diplomatic nature yeah. than what you're doing right now. Yeah. And he taught me a very, very, very valuable lesson that day. Not to say I don't, I can't, I don't turn that on when I need to, but he, he taught me that there's a time and a place, right? Um, and that there's different approaches for, for the same, for different problems. The last one I, I, I'd, I'd want to say is, uh, Mr. Robinson, or Mr. Rick Robinson, who I'm hoping to interview for this podcast. We'll see if it happens. Um, but that time I was a Sergeant, I was, it was 2011 and I was working at the Pentagon for headquarters, Marine Corps combat camera. And he came from LA. He came from Hollywood. Uh, he was a director of photography out there he has made some movies he went on tour michael jackson uh he really told me and showed me how to take my technical uh quality of what i do to the next level and he's still out there and he was a great mentor and he showed me so many things right the dude is a uh he can paint with light if that makes any sense interesting um so i attribute a lot of my technical skills to him and he was a really really great teacher yeah uh, you were a, you were, you were combat camera. I was. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to one of your earlier episodes where you were talking about with, I think Joel Shivari. Yeah. And you were saying, you know, didn't mean to offend combat. Cam- I was offended. <laughs> I was totally offended. I was like, I, I, I hashtag like, combat camera for life. Yeah. Because I was, was it, I, I implied that combat camera and, um, public affairs and public affairs were somehow synonymous. Yes, and they're extremely not. Yeah, yeah. I know. I mean, a, a combat camera guy will say that because uh, public affairs will go out there for a couple of days and write the story and then go back to their nice warm bunk. And I'm just saying this just to get the public <laughs> affairs guys. So, because there's there's some exception, exceptions to the rule. Uh, combat camera guy will do all the workups, deploy with a, a unit, embed with the unit for the entire seven months, uh, and then come back. So this, this is something that I think not a lot of people know, and you can briefly describe. Like, what is your responsibility as combat camera? Like, what is your mission? So combat camera's mission was, because they've now merged public affairs and combat camera, it was historical documentation 
and internal communication. So whatever the command, you worked for the commanding officer, like the battalion commander on the ground. So if he wanted route reconnaissance, you provided it. If he wanted external messaging, you provided it. Uh, you were the one that was also to provide historical documentation of what happened. Um, so you were to preserve your footage and make sure it was preserved uh, via DIVIDS or DIMOC at the time. Um, th those were your primary missions, is historical archival footage. And when you worked for the command officer on the ground, whereas public affairs a lot of times did not, they would be attached to from a, a higher command, come and do their story, and then come back. What would you like about it? What did I like? I like storytelling. Yeah. I think I think uh, you have a very rich story with military, right? So um, I loved telling the active duty military story as it was happening. I loved being there, uh, or the possibility of being there for events that could change history, right? Yeah. So um, that's what I really, really, really liked about my service. Interesting. So what prompted your transition out then? Um, one, a medical issue. Uh, uh, I, have, I have a medical issue that, um, you know, eventually I want to be able to hold my child like a lot of like Lion King someday yeah. and I have a shoulder issue. So, um, that was, that was one factor too. I had felt like when I first came in, I had a certain set of goals and I felt like I'd achieved every single goal that I had. Um, and I was, I was going through and I, I was past that 10 year mark. So you, you, you have that internal, like, Ooh, I crossed the hump. Should I do the other nine years um, and retire? Um, but if you're, if you're not doing it for the Marine Corps, if you're not doing it for, for the mission and you're doing it for yourself, you're doing it for the wrong reasons, right? So yeah. um, I made the, I, I was like, I have other goals outside the military that I wanted to do. And so I made that decision to, to leave. Did I already ask you if you knew Reese Lauder? I think so, and I think my answer was yes, kind of. Okay. he's uh, He was a friend of mine who did um, public affairs or combat. Camp. I can't remember which one he was, but I, he, he took that really famous uh, picture of the, um, there must have been Marines, because he's a Marine sleeping with a, a dog next to him with a Redskins blanket yes. over them, and like the Redskins ended up putting it in their front offices and stuff like that. Yeah. That's, yeah. I, I knew of him. Um, I don't know if that was the same Marine that um, was a junior Marine when I left Quantico. He was attached to Quantico shortly afterwards, or if he is a completely different Marine. Hmm. But I do remember the name Lauder. Okay. Yeah. Very well. No no personal interaction. So you went to Syracuse, right? I did. So uh, I was one of uh, a select few of military personnel. It's a joint program at Syracuse University. Uh, they do a military photojournalism program. And they do a military motion media program, and they select four from each service every year to go up there within combat camera and public affairs. I think it's four from combat camera, four from public affairs. And I was in 2011. I was one of the four selected. Interesting. So that's that's when you're still in. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yep. Okay. So it, what, what, so um, I know you were at NASCAR before you were at VA. Yes. Is there anything between Marine Corps and NASCAR? No, no, no. So okay. I, I, <laughs> I got out in January of 2015 and I started with NASCAR productions in March of 2015. Okay. And, and what, what led you down that path? I applied on the website <laughs> <laughs> and that's the same amount of laughter I get from NASCAR to anybody that worked in NASCAR when I, when I said, that's how exactly how I got the job. Yeah. Um, so when I got out, I knew I was getting out for probably about a year before I got out okay. and, or six months. I went on the black sea rotational force in 2014 
And I thought that was a good way to end my service. It was a really cool deployment. Um, saw probably seven or eight different countries in about seven months. Came back, had about three months to prepare for my transition. Um, I did by getting a headshot, started LinkedIn. I, I started doing all those things and started applying everywhere, you know, um, that I thought I might have an interest in ESPN and uh, Fox Sports and NASCAR. And I mean, you name it. Why, I, why sports? I don't know. I, th- I think I just saw the openings. Okay. I saw a lot of job openings within sports journalism and within, you know, videography and video producer. And I, I, I just, on, link, on uh, Glassdoor, it's what I started seeing. So I started applying. And I was like, oh, I'd be, you know, oh, uh, one of the reasons I, I, I would say is uh, uncontrolled action. So the Marine Corps teaches you how to, how to capture uncontrolled action. Yeah. Or, you know, so I was like, what better way to, to transition that either with, either work for the deadliest catch or you work for sports. Deadliest catch. Yeah. Um, you know, my brother was always like, I always saw you getting out, going home and working on Axemen or deadliest catch or something. And I was like, that's like the same company and they're not hiring. So yeah. I started just doing uh, sports journalism and broadcast journalism and, and a lot of sports. So I did that because I thought, well, uncontrolled action, I could, I could shoot that. I can produce that. I've done that before. So yeah. that was one of the reasons. Was that? Do you believe? Do you think that was a selling point when you when you interviewed? I think so. Yeah. I th- I think that you know that was. Uh, I, I I don't know if it was a selling point, but I sold it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I like that. But uh, I actually went back home to Seattle. I got a I got an apartment. Like when I first got out. Okay, NASCAR's in Charlotte. Yeah. I was in Camp Lejeune. I got out and I drove to Seattle. Oh wow! Because the original goal was like, well, until I get a job. I'm going to go and go to University of Washington or go to the Vancouver Film School and I'll find a job eventually. But until that time, I'm going to use my GI Bill because the BH is nice and and I'll be close to my family. Well, I get there two weeks later, NASCAR called and said, hey, we like your resume. We liked your reel. Do you want to come work for us in Charlotte? And I said, I just moved to Seattle. I yeah. just got an apartment on Mercer Island. Uh, on Mercer, huh? Yeah. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So we found a really affordable place on Mercer Island. Very it was, good. It was a little one bedroom place, but uh, started a new life. But um, they were like, I was like, if it if my stuff still wasn't in storage at Camp Lejeune, I would have never been able to make the that transition. If I because I I I optioned to have my stuff in storage for six months at Camp Lejeune, while I figured out my life in Seattle. If I didn't do that. NASCAR wasn't going to pay for my moving expenses. I was I would not have been able to make that transition, and I would oh, not. Oh, so did they did they help you at all? They so I asked for four grand in moving expenses in order for me to in my negotiations. I said, hey, yeah. I can't come out there unless I have moving expenses. And I, he said, how much do you need? And I said, four grand. And he goes, how about two? And I roll the other two into your salary you mean I get that extra two grand every year? Sure. Absolutely. Let's yeah, go. absolutely. So, yeah. So we made, we, we, after about, I was, I was in Seattle for three weeks and then I moved back to Charlotte. That's funny. And I went ahead of my wife. So my, when I first got out, my wife went ahead of me cause she got the job at university of Washington, set up shop, set up, and she's not from Seattle. She, she's kind of getting to know my uncle and the rest yeah. of my family. Uh, she goes and moves and starts working for University of Washington. I follow her upon my end of end of service. I get the job in Charlotte three weeks later. I said, sorry, mom. I know you thought you were getting to see your baby boy after 11 years. I then moved from Seattle all the way to Charlotte by myself and, and set up shop and got things going. And then my wife was able to transition. She made the transition. 
So what, I mean, briefly, what were you doing in NASCAR? So I was a senior post-production editor, which is, uh, basically what I did was I, a producer would come in with a video a feature, a show, what have you. I would color it, land, I would send it to audio. I would color it. I would land graphics. I was a finish editor. I'd do the transitions. I'd make it look nice. And then I would, we would QC it in my room and then I would send it off to whoever it needed it, Fox Sports or NBC or, or uh, uh, I think CBS. We, we were doing a sports car show for CBS. NASCAR owns a lot of things that you would never think that NASCAR owned. They own uh, the American Flat Track Series, which is a motorcycle dirt flat track series. Hmm. Um, Harley's going at about 120 miles an hour uh, on a half-mile oval. Wow. Um, you have... Uh, IMSA, which is the International Motorsports Sports Car, whatever it's, it's sports cars. So it's it's uh, endurance racing with Maseratis and Audis, and that that airs on Fox Sports, or it did. I don't know if it still does. And then you had, of course, the three major series, the Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, and and the NASCAR Sprint Cup Series, or it used to be Sprint Cup. Now it's the Monster Energy uh, sponsored series. And then you had a lower series, which was the uh, K&N series, which we would do an hour-long cut-down show for. Yeah. So there was a lot of content, not including the the corporate sponsors that we would do commercials for. or um, uh, So you do corporate, uh, the corporate sponsors, and then you also have digital. And they actually just got their first uh, eSports series this year. Nice. So I'm really excited to see how that goes. Yeah. I remember when I was a kid, and I don't... Um you know, I didn't really know what a sponsorship was. I didn't know what a brand was or anything like that. So, like, when I heard, you know, the Sprint Series, I thought it was, like, the actual name of it, right? Like, it yeah. was, you know. Or, or, um, and it's kind of confusing when there is a Sprint Series. Yeah. 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 But, like, um, what, there's, the, there's like, the, the, the Bush... Um, like they they had uh, which is now Xfinity, but the Bush League, right? Yeah, yeah. so the Bush League now it's Xfinity. Like as a kid, I would add, I I just thought that's what it was called. Yeah, and then you grow up to realize, oh wait, someone paid to have that called that. I don't what, and then you know, then you, then you start learning yeah. what sponsorships are and stuff. But it, like sort of ruined a little bit of the tradition. Of sure, it, right? Like sure, sort of like how um, Winston Cup. You know, you would see, you would see Winston Cup, and yes. you thought that's what it was. Yes, yeah. exactly. Um, whereas like, you know, like in football, like, you know, Lambo is Lambo for like out of tradition and st- in, in legacy, uh, whereas like century link <laughs> formerly quest, oh, you know, yeah. like all that's like, you know, the clink. Yeah. What is it going to be this year? I have no idea. Uh, it's yeah. the, and then Safeco field is no longer Safeco field. That one is the, is the one that saddens me the most. Cause that's been Safeco field since its inception Yeah, for years. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, um, when you when you applied, was was your resume real? Every all things from the military. Did you have other stuff in there? Uh, for NASCAR. Yeah. So I had made I had mainly my military reel. Yeah. But I organized it on Vimeo. Uh, you know, I didn't. Everyone was like, "Oh, have a reel ready. Have a reel ready." Well, I had a disc, but how is somebody in Charlotte going to get a disc, right? So, I created a reel on Vimeo and I organized it for albums, like I did docs, shorts. Uh, um, I think audio. I did. I actually, I take that back. I had, I had mainly, mostly military stuff, but my Syracuse stuff was some of the stuff that was out of the military. I did a music video. I did uh, a documentary that uh, followed uh, the Karen people out of Burma, like the, from the time that they landed until about six months in 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 America. 
and I documented that. So um, I had some things that were um, not military related, but most probably about 80 to 90% of it was military related, but, but I had organized on Vimeo. Interesting. I know most of the story before uh, for our listeners who are getting to know their future host for Born <laughs> the Battle. What brought you to the Department of Veterans Affairs? <laughs> My wife. <laughs> <laughs> so for the uh, Tim already knows the story, but my wife applied to the job. Yeah. <laughs> As in, so to be clear, she didn't apply for the job. She applied on your behalf. Like she applied, she applied you to the job. Yes, yeah. she did. So she saw that I had reached a point in NASCAR after about three years, three, three and a half, a little over three years. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, starting out strong. Um, that I had kind of plateaued at NASCAR. Um, it was pretty much, it was like a chief one officer five positions, highly skilled, pays pays pretty good, but it, but there's no career advancement. You're at a, you're at a glass ceiling. So my wife and saw that I was every Memorial Day race. I was taking Marines to the track, combat camera Marines, and I was kind of run, kind of doing a small program of my own. I said, hey, I was trying to do things that you and I never got. Like, how do your skills translate when you get out? And I would take Marines to NASCAR Productions, the Tower in Charlotte, and I would show them, hey, this is an uh, an editor position. You think it's a I thought it was storytelling. I thought I was going to be cutting stories as an editor. Not true. I'd be coloring and, and, and doing transitions and graphics. Not a bad job. Just be aware of what the skill set is when you when you apply. Um, producers are the, are the ones that are cutting the stories. So the, so basically, I was kind of laying out different skill sets for each positions of what they're called within NASCAR um, to really set them up for success for when they saw it on like Glassdoor or something. And I'd take them to the track on Saturday uh, or on Sunday and show them the live production trucks and take them around to where, how they film cameras in the, in the truck and the trucks with the remote cameras and let them play around with that. And the at track, uh, production of the actual track, not just the t- TV of the, of the actual track. And my wife saw me doing this and saw that I was having a, a passion helping veterans. And, and she goes, Hey, I applied to this job for you. <laughs> it's in Washington, DC and it's telling veteran stories. And, your interviews on Monday. (laughs) (laughs) Very good. So I interviewed with our our director and during lunchtime in my truck and three months later got the phone call said I was selected for the position. So So when when your wife told you that she had applied to this, how seriously did you take it? I mean, obviously you took serious enough to actually do the interview, but like, did you go into it with any sort of excitement or anticipation? Absolutely. So when she said, Hey, you had this interview and this is what it entails. I said that, actually sounds interesting yeah and i was like let's let's play this out because it's a big move going from charlotte to dc sure um, i'm still in my in-laws basement still making that transition yeah but uh uh that's how much i felt about the position to actually go through this and do it yeah so. well we're glad you're here Thanks, you've bro. uh you've done a for anybody who follows us on social media they may have seen your operation song videos that have been going out uh on i think at least once a week once or twice a week for for a while now we started that campaign almost as soon as i started working here and we did the operation song stuff and we went out to nashville to shoot a, a longer uh, form piece of content that is still in post-production mm-hmm. and maybe we'll make an announcement here soon about that on the show in, in, the, in the future months but uh um, or future weeks but uh yeah, so I saw this, felt passionate about it. I said, hey, maybe we can do a quick awareness campaign via social media. And yeah, we do Operation Song of the Week once a week on Wednesdays. 
and we highlight us. So what Operation Song is, for those that don't know, is it's a nonprofit 501c out of Nashville. And these are who's who of Nashville songwriters. I mean, these guys are written for Trish Yearwood, Reba McIntyre, Tim McGraw, Garth Brooks, you name it. And they will take veterans on a retreat, and one day they'll do a guitar, let them know what they, you know, who they are. The next day they'll pair them up, take them on Music Row in Nashville, and they'll actually write a song with a veteran and whatever that veteran wants to get out. And you hear veterans come away from the program saying, these past three days did more for me than the past three months, uh, or the past three years of therapy. So yeah. it, was, it, it was a really, really powerful. So I decided to take it and actually start an awareness campaign on our social media. Yeah, so. it's, and it's been great. I've really, I've appreciated all the, uh, all the stories and all the sound bites that you've been, uh, you've been selecting. I think you definitely have an ear for what's interesting. Thanks, brother. Um, and I think that uh, being a podcaster, that is probably the most important uh, part of the intangible stuff is understanding what's interesting, right? Because the podcast exactly. uh, industry is saturated now, right? From top to bottom. It, I mean, we could probably make a list of 10 goofy subjects for podcasts and like five of them may exist already <laughs> right right like they are may already exist um, finger pants there's two podcasts just I, for finger pants yeah know? absolutely yeah. yeah at least two podcasts on finger pants one of them uh you know probably hasn't been done since 2012 when there really wasn't a market for that but the person who started launched it last year they're doing pretty good they hit it right out time right 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 on, right at the <laughs> yeah. time for finger pants finger pants are hot that's right and i think the you know the and as, as many players as I've seen come in and out of the veteran space, mm-hmm. it's still, I think that there's so many more good ways that we can podcast in the veteran space. So in, in, in the stories we tell, the veterans we feature, the, uh, the information we, uh, we, we spread to the, to the masses, um, you know, it's, uh, uh, command your business, you know, was on veteran entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. um, there's another one for business. Uh, oh, vet biz. Duh. <laughs> that was probably a, a no. Um, you know that one's great. There's pop smoke. Uh, Team RWB's Eagle Nations. A really great conversation about the veteran space in general. Yep. Um, you know, uh, um, uh, Duffel Blog guy Paul Zoldra and sure. and um, Max Uriarte from uh, Terminal Lance. They did. Yep. They do after action. Right. That podcast. I think they're still doing that. But. Um, you know, there's so many great podcasts in the veteran space yet for as many that have been out there, I don't think there's been as many powerhouse mainstream podcasts as I thought there would have been for this long of podcasting in the veteran space. Sure. Um, veteran empire, one of my former podcasts being one of them. (laughs) Um, and so I think that even though I would, even though I would, I challenge every person who wants to enter this space. I always think that if you're going to do it right, there's room for you. Sure. And that's where I think I think Born the Battle is still doing it right. I know that when you take over the show and produce uh, the Tanner Iskra uh, version of Born the Battle, that you're going to do it right. And continuing, you know, this podcast st- like it, it was inspired by getting VA involved in the conversation in the veteran community in, Good. in not just communicating what we do for veterans, but just learning about the veterans that we serve, right? Sure, and absolutely. Um, bringing a human element to all of that and, and almost bragging really about here are the amazing things that our veterans are doing. Absolutely. Um, and I, I know that that aspect of it is what's going to be fun for you. I've been wanting to do podcasting in this space since probably 2015 or 2016. 
uh, whatever drinking bros came around. Drinking bros. Drinking bros. So I listened to my first episode of Drinking Bros on a on a drive from Charlotte to DC, and I enjoyed it. Um, but what I really was thirsting for, I guess, was for uh, a veteran podcast that uh, talked about transition, talked about the struggles of that transition, talked about uh, new information from veteran affairs or from from you know what's some of the new resources that are coming out for veterans. Um, what are some inspiring stories that can inspire? It could be someone famous. It could be someone who figured out how to be a firefighter, you know, and, and that was their passion out, out of the military. And how did they do that? Um, really breaking down benefits. And it's funny because I've been wanting to do that since 2015. I think I've shared that with you, 2016. And then I walk into here and I hear about Born the Battle. And I said, that's it. That's that's exactly where, it, you know, so uh that's it. That was it. That was kind of like, wow, it's, it's already here. And it's, I'm so happy to be a part of it. Yeah. Very good. What do you think about, uh, I don't know, how, how, how much of you, how much exposure have you had yet to the DC area veteran community? Cause this is a very unique one in the, how many veteran service organizations there are around, how many people sure. are lobbyists and advocates and part of the community, nonprofit stuff like that. Have you gotten much exposure to that yet? I, and have exposure to the veteran community within my community. I, I'm okay. in I'm in the sub the sub community of uh, visual information storytellers. You know, okay. and there's yeah. a lot of them here. Sure. Because uh, Fort Meade, the Defense Information School is right down the road. Yeah. And a lot of them come here to the Beltway and they get out and they stay in the Beltway. So I have a lot of contacts there. Um, I haven't had much exposure to the rest of the community, and I'm looking forward to it because the podcast to me in the future is also a journey for myself mm-hmm. as well. Because I'm a new veteran, you know, I'm still within the the, the first enlistment, right? Yeah, of being a veteran. Uh, so, so first enlistment, <laughs> being a veteran. So, so uh, I'm looking forward to exploring the VA and exploring these communities that I ha- I don't have exposure to. Yeah, I, um, it's amazing how much you learn too as you're doing and you'll get this you know i was doing podcasts with um you know with the the people that run the the vet smoke smoke quit line i don't know if you knew this but va actually has a hotline for tobacco users i did not know that yes and yeah uh you can call it and they will talk to you about your habits and then they will help you devise a quit plan and they can schedule follow-ups with you or they can they can help you schedule follow-ups with them however you want to do it but yeah that's an, that's something that va offers um that i didn't know until i started doing research on think topics to talk about on the podcast um that's great yeah uh you start realizing how vast this organization is with uh with as many people in it i mean i 380,000 is the is the employment number but you That's don't realize how big that number really is until you start talking to all of the people inside the organization and, and learning who they are um and what's great about this and one of the reasons why i think it's important to be a curious veteran yourself in doing this is you know what you need to know yep. as a veteran, and that applies to your to your listeners. Yep. And the um, the listeners, all all of our now uh, mine, oh, our, and soon to be your listeners out there. Yep. A lot of them are veterans, and a lot of them are VA employees. Got you. Who listen to hear what veterans have to say about their about their time in the military? And I've had VA employees say hey, say that they find it easier now to talk with veterans 
after listening to the podcast and sort of hearing how veterans talk about their own service and their own transition. See, I didn't even think about that. And that's actually a really great use of this. And, and that's another reason and all the more reason to do keep doing this. Yeah. All, all the, all the more reason to keep this podcast going. Cause I think if it's a useful resource at, in the end, if the end state is to help that veteran, then hopefully this is doing its job. Absolutely. And shout out to all the VA employees out there. You don't need to don't you don't have to pitch this to every to to people don't don't sell them I guess honestly but I'm sure there's plenty of people who are like oh okay I'm all right this guy's gonna be taking over the podcast soon um, take how much one minute ten minutes however long you want sort of th- uh, let people know what sort of things you're hoping to incorporate in in um, uh, either in the in the near future or eventually what's um, what might a Tanner Iskra born the battle sound like for those that are going to continue to be subscribed sure and listen to the next show featuring the new host what you're going to hear with a a tanner iskra born the battle is you're going to hear a veteran on a journey himself to learn more about the va so new topics are going to come out the va for example appeals modernization just came out yeah i'm reading the press release myself and i'm going to find a subject matter expert and we're going to talk about appeals modernization uh, things like that. Uh, that's that's going to be one benefit to listen to Born the Battle. Another benefit is you're going to hear guests uh, like you, like yourself, have already been do- has already been doing uh, that are going to hmm. I'm making the transition. How did he become who he was? Uh, and you're gonna you're gonna hear stories uh, about you're gonna hear uh, guests that you're gonna know and some guests that you're not gonna know. Right. But you're gonna you're gonna hear like I said from someone famous might be an actor might be a might be someone in the wwe mm. hopefully hopefully that's uh that's in the works to hint, hint, um, wink, wink. Hint, 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 wink wink to um to a firefighter okay you know to a police officer yeah uh i do uh, there's there's plenty of stories out there right that's the great part about veterans we're everywhere so i'm going to find those stories and i'm going to bring them to you uh and and at the same time i'm going to be bringing you news within the within the VA that you're going to want to know and we're going to talk to subject matter experts and we're going to ask them why does it matter to me the veteran I love talking to veterans that are doing interesting things out in the world one of my most interesting one of the most interesting interviews I ever had um, was with Roman Baca who was a marine veteran who after he got out started a dance company that primarily primarily did ballet Wow, and actually, like, actually helped develop a ballet that was telling the story of serving in the Iraq War. Wow, it's it was pretty. The idea, you know, something that you would just definitely never associate with marine with with military or veterans, right? Yeah, you know, dancing in general, let alone ballet. Yeah, and here's this uh, this this military inspired ballet that's telling the story of serving any rock and you know it's done appropriately because it's being developed and produced by someone that was there by someone who was there that's so cool yeah um yeah we've we've had some uh, uh that, that was on a, a different show but yeah th- these interviews are uh, are, pr- are pretty amazing the so here's the bar that you had to set i've talked to a lot of people sure um i've talked to a lot of people everybody agrees that uh coach k mike shashevsky is probably my biggest quote-unquote get right probably noted my, probably my biggest interview so that's the bar yeah. Um, I've already told you that if you get uh, if you get James Mattis before I ever get to interview yeah, him, I'll buy goal. you dinner. 
Same, and the same goes back. If you get mad before I do, I might have an inside track on you. I'm just letting you know now. I know you do. I might have I an know. inside track. So here, here's what I, uh, I, where I am moving on to. There's no, I, there was, there's no plan on doing a podcast over there. Yeah. But if the opportunity to do an interview James Mattis, you will start a podcast. Yeah. Well, hey, <laughs> welcome to the new podcast brought to you by <laughs> episode one featuring James Mattis. Oh, you know what? Hey, That'll that wraps up this this podcast. Can we say where you're going? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm headed to Arlington National Cemetery. Yeah, and where people where can people follow you? So if people want to follow me and what I am doing, you can find a lot of it at Arlington National Cemetery's um, social media. Uh, Arlington N A T L is their Twitter and Instagram handle. Uh, short, obviously, for Arlington National. Arlington N A T L. That's where uh, that's where I'll be rocking and rolling. And we will get you back eventually. Uh, I'm, I'm going to put it out there now. We're okay. going to eventually try and get you back because yeah. uh, we're already going to be. We already know that we're going to be missing you. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm yeah. confident that I have not. This will not be my last time served at the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, both, co- both. You know, I came here inspired. I came here excited. You know, about um, joining an organization that was being trashed all over media and, sure. and that with evidence was underserving veterans and had a history of that. Sure. And I could, I saw the progress being made. Uh, Bob McDonald was the secretary at the time. I saw okay. his motivation and his uh, inherent belief that he, that he was, you know, um, that he was truly serving veterans and that it was, that it was his, his sense of service. Um, and, you know, we're here, Robert Wilkie, I feel the same way with, with how he, um, you know, with how he leads this uh, department and that I've been in the veteran community for so long that sure. um, even though Arlington obviously is still associated with veterans, it's a half a step away. And I'm, I'm just, I want a little bit different of an experience just to keep myself sharp. Absolutely. Um, you have to do that sometimes. Yeah. And it's, it's a noble mission over there. Absolutely. You know, it's, um, if you haven't been to Arlington National Cemetery, um, it's a very inspiring, unique, humbling yeah. time in your life. And I highly suggest you make the trip. No matter where you sit on any political belief value spectrum, when you see Arlington National Cemetery's green lawn rolling over the hills in Arlington National Cemetery with these white headstones perfectly lined up across it. um, They don't care. They don't care. And... Any, every, any and every American should believe that whatever their beliefs are, that they're fortified in the sacrifice of the men and women that are buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the most inspiring parts about Arlington is it's representative of how diverse uh, the sacrifice for this country really has been. Sure. Absolutely. Uh, and it's, uh, I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that, uh, uh, telling that story. I'm waiting for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so it's so people are like, "Oh, you would start a podcast just to have you know James Mattis on it over at Arlington National Summit." Actually, he would be one of the he'd he'd still be a key interview because there's really great stories about how he even as Secretary of Defense he would wander Section yeah. 60 and interact and engage with the friends and family members that were visiting loved ones in section 60. And I would love to get his perspective on what it's like having been a general in multiple wars, right? Being a, being a Marine Corps officer through yes. multiple wars and what it's like knowing that decisions that he made somehow, you know, not led to, but was a part of 
the uh, scenarios and the situations that led to deaths, right? Absolutely. And um, and so you know, I'm I would be super curious uh, to hear about him talking about what it's like to be in in Section sixty and to interact with the friends and family of of those of current conflict veterans. You can make the subject. And I think Mattis has a unique perspective on it. It's true. You know, I I think he's lived (laughs) such a life that you could just go, hey, what do you think about oranges? Well, let me tell you a story. CVS receipts are pretty long these days, aren't they, sir? What do you think about them? (laughs) He'd give me a knife hand. Let me tell you what I think about them, sir, Mr. Lawson. Tanner, tell me about a a skill set or experience that you had in the military that you feel like is contributing to your success today. Well, obviously, it's it's there's a technical skill set that I did not have. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you actually have a pretty pretty uh, specific. Uh, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's my leadership. You're like, no, they actually taught me how to do the job I do. Right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty relatable. They're like, they're like, how did people always ask me well, I was a veteran? How did you learn how to be a video producer? How did you learn? I was like, they taught me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, the United so, States government <laughs> invested in me learning how to do this. Yeah, and yeah. I just. You know, how well you do, I think, is in, in, in yourself, you know, how, how well you apply it to what you're going to do. But yeah, as far as I don't think defense, you know, the defense information school, as far as from the technical aspect of how to create a video, I don't know if there's a better school in the country. Honest, honestly, uh, from the very, te- this is three point lighting. This is how you conduct an interview. Uh, this is how you uh, grab uncontrolled action. This is the, on the editing timeline, this is a, a basic sequence. I mean, they taught you nuts and bolts of how to be a video, a one man video producer. And I don't think, and I'm going to throw it out there. I don't think there's a better place to learn that Syracuse and Arizona state university, where I eventually went to school when I was night school online, when I was at NASCAR, I, they taught you the how and the why and the theory behind making the video yeah. and they allowed you to be creative. Um, but I don't, from a technical perspective, I don't think there's a better place than the defense information school. Interesting. Um, tell me about a veteran or a veteran organization that you're familiar with that has you excited about what they're doing right now. This may sound cheap because we already talked about it, but, uh, operation song, honestly, as a, as a, what they're doing right now, I'm so interested in it because I'm doing content for it. Um, and I saw the uh, immediate reaction from the veterans that did the program, and it was sure. inspired me enough to do a series, so um, or do weekly content on it. So I would say right now it's Operation Song. I'm really excited about what they're doing, what they're doing for veterans, and how they're partnering with, with VA to keep doing these retreats for veterans. Very good. Well, Tana, Tanner Iskra. Yes, sir. Uh, it is uh, it is my honor. Uh, to to finish my last interview here on Born the Battle with the person that will be uh, taking the reins and taking, honestly, I know, taking the podcast to the next level and, and giving it the attention it deserves when I'm gone. Thank you. Uh, we've got a lot of good things on the horizon. Just stay tuned. Very well. My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA careers to find out more. 
thank you to Tanner for sitting down with me, for allowing us to get to know him a little bit more as a veteran and as a creative. I hope everybody continues to stay tuned in to Born the Battle. You don't have to do anything different. The podcast will be coming into the same feed. Tanner hopes to get something rolling in the month of March as soon as March 13. So uh, keep keep your eyes open uh, sometime in March. Ep- first episode coming out of Tanner's editing suites will be coming down the pipeline and into your earbuds. I want to thank everybody who has listened to Born the Battle who listened to This Week at VA. That's what the podcast was originally titled when we began. Podcast was originally called This Week at VA simply as a working title. That's just the working title. And then it never got changed as I began to produce episodes and I just held it. Then I was talking to a friend, uh, Paul Zoldra, uh, at a conference and I told him about the podcast and I told him the name and he quickly pointed out how boring of a name that was. So that day I took a walk and I uh, thought of Born the Battle and that uh, became the name of the podcast as we know it. I've had amazing guests on this show from veterans, veteran spouses, military spouses, uh, a couple secretaries have been on the show and I am humbled by how many people have taken the time to not only contribute as a guest, but to that those of you who have listened, who have taken the time out of your week to listen to these veterans and their amazing stories. I'm looking forward to the next thing in my life. And if that is something you're curious about as well, I will be at Arlington National Cemetery. You can follow them on Facebook at Arlington National Cemetery and on Twitter on Instagram at Arlington N-A-T-L. Those are the handles. uh, You can uh, get a peep at some of my work um, over there. 134 episodes in the bag. I'm pretty proud of that. And now I hand it over to Mr. Tanner Iskra. So on behalf of Tanner, the rest of the digital media engagement team, the Department of Veterans Affairs. I am Timothy Lawson, signing off.